You see, suffering is the resistance to suffering. It's only because we resist suffering, we suffer. When we stop resisting suffering, which is transformation, then suffering becomes a tool of growth. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of Humans in Love podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my brand new workbook, which I'm very excited and proud to release after months and months of (laughs) being holed up in this villa and working very hard. It's finally out. It's finally released. It's based in part on my last workbook, the Overcoming Jealousy Workbook. And this new book is called The Breakup Recovery Workbook, Daily Writing Exercises for Surviving and eventually thriving through the end of a relationship. I am proud of this one. I think that it flows quite well at the risk of sounding like a pompous idiot. Um, I think it it really came together quite nicely. And it's basically an eight-week plan for anyone struggling with a breakup, for anyone maybe struggling to get over someone, anyone who's struggling in the wake of the end of a relationship. I wrote this book for you. There are some introductory essays in the book, which will hopefully help you heal the pain of loss and start to move on from your breakup. There's also eight slash, I guess, nine weeks in total of writing exercises and writing prompts and all these kind of journaling exercises to get you thinking about moving forward and digging into your past, digging into your own psychology, putting together a vision for your future and actually acting on that vision. In addition to the workbook, I also created an online course, a brand new online course featuring many hours of videos. I think there's over 50 videos in total in the course. I've, it's basically all I've worked on over the past three months or so. Also excited to release it. The new online course is called the Breakup Recovery Blueprint, and it's built to accompany the workbook to go deeper into many of the ideas in the workbook. There's also nine weeks of guided meditations in there aimed specifically at different aspects of breakup recovery. And I'm equally proud of the course. If you'd like to learn more about these new products, these new projects of mine, please visit breakupcourse.com. And if you're just interested in buying the workbook, you can find the Breakup Recovery Workbook on Amazon. You can search for my name or merely search Breakup Recovery Workbook. My guests today are returning guests to my podcast, two of my absolute favorite people to talk to about life, love, and in particular, long-term relationships. I first met Uriel and Blandine maybe three, three years ago, something like that at uh, one of their wonderful yoga retreats in Chiang Mai, Thailand, my former home. Absolutely fantastic teachers, truly two of the best teachers I've come across in any field. And you've probably heard them both in the podcast before, so I probably don't have to introduce them too much. But they work at Mahasiddha Yoga in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where they practice Tantra Yoga. They're also psychologists, and they are workshop facilitators. They host some really remarkable workshops on love, relationships, masculine and feminine polarity, that kind of thing. If you're ever in Chiang Mai, my God, be sure to carve out some time and try to get to one of their retreats, whether you're single or in a relationship. I think you'll find it very valuable. 
And I wanted to connect with Uriel and Blandine on Zoom to dig into how they've been coping with this strange quarantine, pandemic, apocalypse time that we're all living through, how their relationship has survived through this time and hopefully thrived, how to maintain passion and polarity in long-term relationships, the difference between conscious and unconscious fighting in a relationship, which I found particularly interesting, how to get over a breakup, the tantric approach to breakup recovery, and a whole lot more. Whether you're in a relationship or out of one, or whether you're single, I think you'll find this conversation very interesting. A quick reminder before we get started that ratings and reviews are very important for the success of any podcast, including this one. So if you dig the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Without any further ado, I present to you my friends Uriel Yariv and Blandine Wegner. Blandine, welcome back to my podcast. It's really good to see both of you. Yay. Thank you. I'm happy to see you too. Thanks for having us again. And uh, the first question I have is, and Oriel, we can start with you. I'm really curious how this strange pandemic quarantine time has been for you. And, you know, how have you been approaching this time? And what has this experience taught you so far, do you think? Uh, yeah, it was uh, scary at first and amazing ever since. Uh, it gave us as a couple more time than we ever had. We are now coming to seven years of relationship. These four months were the best, or four or five months were the best in the amount of time we can spend together. We're down to working 35, 40 hours a week and not more than that because there's no more uh, retreats going on. Um, yeah, do a day, day a week or two days a week of silence, of retreat and meditate, and that's been great. And uh, yeah, it was anyway kind of a, in a process of uh, detaching from the world and uh, giving all my refuge in the spiritual side. And this is another proof that you can't really trust the world. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> nobody, nobody predicted that. And who can say in a year? So whatever we invest in this world, we build our house on sand. And whatever we invest in spirit, whatever we invest in real transformation inside, that's with us, no matter if we're going towards a world tragedy or towards some kind of prosperous, happy, utopic future. What about you, Blandine? Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been contemplating a lot of things and... Uh, I shared this with you already privately. Um, the Somehow this outer shift, which is quite severe uh, on a global level and all of us are affected by it and all of us are like, okay, well, what, like, how big of a shift um, could you possibly create on the outside? And this is probably one of the, one of the versions that, um, yeah, on the non-violent side, this is probably one of the, you know, bigger shifts that you could acquire in the outer world. And I feel somehow it reflects onto the inner world. It, it, or maybe it's even, you know, I don't know the causality of it, but there's definitely a correlation of this massive shift then also being um, sort of kickstarted inside, or it, at least there's a certain impulse in that direction. And um, I feel it's, it's nearly a little bit of a, like a checkpoint or something like that where it's like okay how far have you come in your inner development and um 
therefore, how will you deal with such an outer change? But also apart from just dealing with the outer change, I feel it is a massive invitation to change on the inside. And for me, definitely, I've been feeling this um, pull towards just completely shifting um, my inner perception, my inner identification of self and, and so forth. And for me, it hasn't just been uh, very easy. It's quite challenging, I feel. And it's really... Um, Yeah, I mean, it's true what Aria says. It's quite pretty obvious. Okay, you can't build your your hopes on the stability of the outer world. This is for sure. But then, yeah, then what do you do with that? Because I've been, you know, as much as I've been growing up in uh, in communist times for the first portion of my life, and then having a big shift uh, into capitalism, um, that is still, you know, just one bigger shift that I've been going through in that sense. And otherwise the outer world has been pretty stable. I've never been in a war. I've never been chased away from my country uh, or anything like that. You know, I've, I had lived a, a fairly privileged, stable life. And um, then to sort of go back inside and be like, all right, my entire perception of self has been, at least to a degree, build on these outer perceptions of stability. And then you're reminded, okay, yeah, but that's not going to last and death will come and whatnot. This is usually just conceptual in, in, in the mind, but then when it actually happens, at least just a little bit like it is now on the outside, then I feel sort of thrown back into uh, reconsidering the whole vision of, of everything, basically. I realize it might be difficult to offer a general answer to this question, but a lot of couples are going through some challenges right now, and a lot of them are forced into the same space, and a lot of issues are coming up that perhaps have lain dormant for years now that they've got all this time and they've got all this you know, time together in, in a small space. You know, they're, they're struggling. Just generally, I mean, and you can talk about your own relationship if you like, but what advice would you offer to couples who are kind of struggling during this quarantine time we're all going through? Yes, you, um, the idea is that if you face really all your difficulties and you don't um, try to sneak out, you don't try to get some kind of this, uh, this issue is too hard, let's, uh, you don't look at it, I don't look at it, yeah? Because it will stand as a wall between you forever. And okay, before you didn't have time or space to deal with it. Now you are in a condition where it rises. And for us, it's super difficult. The first period, the first month or two, because we were so busy with work and with the construction of, of the Amrita Ashram and so forth, that two years, it was just a roller coaster of work. And all the issues that we boiled in our relationship, they stayed stuck. And then as soon as the corona started, we started fighting very intensely. And after a little bit of unconscious fighting, we said, okay, we just have to face those issues. Let's face them consciously. And then it was really, really hard two months. Okay, we never spoke about that. That really hurt one year ago. That really hurt four years ago. That which you are for this, it really, okay. And we would make very arranged accusation lists. Wishes list, how we want the relationship to work. And it was a day in, day out. I wouldn't anticipate. I wouldn't wait for the meeting. <laughs> it was hard. But we went through it. It was really hard. 
I, I said seven or eight times, it was hard, I mean it. And, <laughs> and, uh, but we went through it and now many of the walls that we have kept in the background for years, they are not there. And now we just meet and there's this osmosis, there's this intimacy. And I, I just feel, okay, I, I am accepted, you know? Wretched as I am, I am accepted and I'm working at what I have to work inside and I feel I accept her and I understand. And also, if she still does things that hurt me and I still do things that hurt her, there is just a further understanding and a real effort to make it better and just a general kind of acceptance. We, we went through it. We shouted at each other. We embraced each other. We cried together. We went through it. We know about it. And it allows a much greater intimacy and a much greater trust. But it was two months of very big difficulty. Yeah. I feel two degrees a bit like um, when a snake is taking off its skin somehow. It's a, like it's a chance now for couples to uh, redefine themselves and to basically shed off whatever uh, old stuff they are still carrying around um, or, and sort of, yeah, reinvent the couple in a way in the beginning of the corona times when like Aurea described it was uh, a bit more hard i don't know for me it was not as awful and i'm maybe more conflict resistant and um we had a talk to our teacher as well and uh, just presented him with the things that we are going through and things that we are considering and uh, so forth and as we were presenting and just sharing everything, um, and I was sharing with him that um, I was aiming for um, just allowing myself to say, uh, do I want to really stay in this relationship? And just allow myself to not take anything for granted, to not take for granted that, yeah, no, but for sure we, we have to stay together. This is how it is. But to just allow myself and just, okay, let's just reconsider everything. Do I want this life that I have? Do I want to be in the place where I am? Do I want to do the work that I'm doing? Do I want to be in this relationship? What do I really want to do? And to sort of use this moment of pause to uh, really recreate everything uh, from a good place. So yeah, the, the point being that um, at one point, um, yeah, when we talked to my teacher, I was just allowing myself to, to, to share with him, look, I'm just reconsidering everything basically. And uh, he said, yeah, this is a great process when you have this um, sort of forced um, moment of pause. Um, it, it is good to, to, take it, to take it as it is. The universe is sort of telling you to stop. It's telling you to, to be quiet, to sit, to just watch what happens, to, um, to, to contemplate, to reconsider. Right? It's a moment of total reconsideration, also at the global level. We think, okay, so um, now that the planes are flying around less, you know, we still breathe, we still eat, maybe nature is recovering, maybe this is a good thing, maybe this is an answer to global warming. Like there's a whole lot of considerations that, that you could have from this thing happening. And this is true also at an individual level. And when we were talking to him, he said something very important. He said, it's great that you do this, but always make sure that you recreate from a good point. Like, you know, the, the snake will, will shed the skin because it just it doesn't fit anymore to what the snake is. But the snake will not sit and, and then, you know, take out a, a paper and a blueprint 
and and make a drawing and then you know think about how to I, yeah but I want it to be similar to the one that I had before I don't want to take too many risks with the new skin growing you know uh, I'm not sure but the snake is just growing from the inside out just from what the snake is the new skin um, will appear so he made a point also for the relationship to um, to to go back to the essence of the relationship and to make sure to rebuild the relationship from the soul and to reconnect to the deepest, deepest essence that you can and then see what is the relationship from there. Not already to come with, okay, the, the things we do know is we want the relationship to look approximately like this and that and we want to stay together, but also we want to be a bit more happy than we were before and, and maybe we want to heal some stuff, but but the, the ground is set. This is what we approximately want, which would be sort of the blueprint scenario. But he said, no, no, just, just go in the soul and recreate from that. As if, and I was playing with this for a few, um, for a few days, like maybe 10 days or something. I was as if meeting him for the first time. And like, okay, if I would meet him now, I would know nothing. We wouldn't have a relationship. There wouldn't be a history. Would I fall in love again? How would I fall in love? How would, I, how would I feel if I would meet this person for the first time? What would I want to do uh, with him? And, you know, from that completely clean place where there's no predefinition somehow. And, uh, yeah, from, for me, that was really helpful. And it actually helped me to... Um, I noticed that there, were, there was a lot of tension in me that was just there because I was holding on to a very specific idea and then also having fears of maybe losing that specific idea of the relationship and maybe not have it the way that I thought it would be and so forth. But then when I just let go of all of that and it's just like, okay, let's see what arises from the soul. Let's see what is the living, breathing thing inside of me that will create the, the relationship from the inside out rather than dealing with the dead skin and trying to you know make the dead skin into into something, maybe oil it a little and then put it back on, but just letting it go and, and recreating something new from the inside out. I'm finding it interesting how much snakes are coming up in my life lately. I'm dating a woman who has a serious phobia of snakes and we were just having a conversation oh. the other night. <laughs> so there's something I have I to dig into here. Why do snakes keep coming up in my life lately? <laughs> but that's a, that's a beautiful analogy. It reminds me of um, something Esther Perel, the, the therapist and author, talks about where if you're with one person for an extended period of time, you don't have one relationship with that person. You have multiple relationships with the same person. But Blandine, the way you, the way you describe that is really beautiful, but I'd like to, to know a little more. I mean, because some people will, will hear the, the things you're saying about looking at your lover, even though you have a lot of history with them, trying to look at them as if you've never met them and if you were just meeting them, how you'd feel. Is there anything you do to kind of get in that headspace and try to play with that idea? Or is it simply just a spiritual practice for you? Yeah, I feel, I mean, as I'm a therapist as well, I typically see it from two viewpoints. On, on one hand, there's the therapeutic side of it where you we do go to couples therapy as well and I cannot recommend it enough. I feel every couple should just do this just from the get-go. Don't even wait until you have problems. Just go to couples therapy already. It will be so helpful. And then um, going through these aspects that, you know, the history, as you say, things that might still hurt, that might still be energized now, um, it's very, very, very helpful. And we have been working lately with the Gestalt therapist, which is quite helpful because Gestalt is sort of about how, how are you now? 
how is it now? And whatever doesn't affect you now is not so important. But whatever does affect you now and might have ties into the history, let's look into that now. You know, what, what, um, what do you want to do with it in this moment? Um, how do you want to use this impulse in this moment? What is it telling you in this moment? What conflict is actually alive inside of you right now? And this is quite helpful to sort of um, still have a space for the history and for whatever might have been difficult um, and, and yet, um, you know, bring it to, to this moment, which is the only actual reality, the only, the only actual moment that exists. And then, of course, from this idea, you can, you can already um, sort of go further into a spiritual viewpoint uh, of it where, yeah, it's simply a spiritual practice to remind yourself, okay, um, the only real me that actually exists and also the only real couple that actually exists is in the now. The rest is, is a memory and that memory might be affecting me in, in this moment. That story, that, um, you know, that narrative might be affecting me in this moment, but it is not actually here. It, it is not actually happening right now. If maybe my lover screamed at me in the past and, you know, and I, I still feel a bit scared of that, I still have that tension in my body, but he is not actually screaming at me right now. And then I can rather deal with whatever residues are inside of me right now and ask myself, do, do I want to go around like this for the rest of my life? Or do I want to learn to live and, and breathe and, and just be aware that sometimes, um, you know, difficult things happen and sometimes traumatizing things happen? And then what do I want to do with that? Well, then maybe I want to address them as they happen and not already be tense about them before they happen and so forth. So I feel it sort of blends from a, a therapeutic approach to a, a to a spiritual approach and then even for me at least coming all the way to the place where um, I just asked myself you know just freeing myself of any idea of any connection of any definition within my life and I wake up in the morning and I pretend as if I know nothing of my life I know nothing of who I'm in love with I know none of that and how would that feel and and from that place what what is my my priority uh, in this day, what do I want to experience inside? And then I can always energize that and practice in that direction. And, you know, if my soul really longs for uh, detachment and expansion and communion with God, then why not allow my soul to, to enjoy that today, no matter what the history might have been, right? But of course, we cannot ignore trauma in the, um, let's say, on, on, the, on, the, on the journey there. That's beautifully put. Uriel, you said something a few moments ago that I want to sort of drill down on. You said something to the effect of the difference between conscious and unconscious conflict or conscious and unconscious fighting. Could you maybe take a moment to kind of tease that apart? Like what does conscious fighting mean to you or conscious conflict? Yes, the idea is, are we um, engaging in a voluntary way are we choosing to go straight to the issue? Yeah? Uh, the woman says to a man, you're very smelly. We have a problem, you're very smelly. You can say that from an unconscious emotional place. It just takes over you. You just shout, you're so smelly and you're this and you're that and I can't that's an unconscious, involuntary, you didn't choose to do it, it just burst out of you. Or you ignore it unconsciously, you say, no, I shouldn't say anything, I just stay here and breathe the fume and almost faint. And, and uh, No, let's not embrace now. Yeah? 
you, you just ignore it and you don't say it. that's another unconscious approach towards it. And a conscious approach, it just assumes responsibility. Say, look, my love, I'm about to say something that might be offending, and I don't want to offend you, but I want to be close to you. And there's something that kind of stands in the way. And I, I just, I want to be soft and embracing and all of it. And you tell me if it's a good moment, if you're open to hear. Okay, and then, okay, I'm open to hear. Look, there is this issue with the smell. and It can be solved very easily, and it makes me feel a little bit distant. Yeah, so that would be, I took that example because it's very simple and simple to solve, but it's just, that's a conscious assuming, containing the other person, how they would react, containing our needs, their needs, and then going straight on with that. Okay, that's, that's just that. And with the conscious uh, contemplating of the problems, we see ourselves as a unit. Yeah, it's not like it's my interest, it's your interest, and we have an unconscious showdown, and the one that's more scary will have it their way. Yeah, the one that's insisting more will have it their way, and the other one will be suppressed. So I am the tyrant when it comes to food and what we do on weekends, we do it my way, and you're the tyrant about uh, cleaning the house and about uh, what we do in the evenings, yeah? And I'm the slave there. And you understand it's like one imposing on the other when the unconscious, unconscious fighting is there. There's a clash of agendas. And the conscious says, okay, look, we are a unit. Okay, we are together. That's it. We acknowledge that. We are a unit. We work together. First of all, the togetherness. What are your needs? One, two, three. These are my needs. One, two, three. How do we? What are our resources? How do we do it together? Okay. Here, I have soap. You take the soap. <laughs> I give you my resource, which is the soap. You wash. I can come closer to you because you have a wish to be close. I have a wish to be close. You can be clean. I can be closer. What do you say? Yeah, so it's a, it's a teamwork like that, and it's not two separate camps. Mm -hmm. I want to add think, something. Oh, go, go ahead, Landon. I want to add something to this that um, I feel... Uh, conscious conflict if you want to put it that way is a lot about um, assuming responsibility for your side uh, first where you allow um, to say well I am having this experience and I am choosing to interpret this experience in this and that way and I'm choosing to have a reaction in this and that way. And I might not be necessarily consciously choosing that, right? I might be freaking out about something because a trauma gets triggered from childhood and I don't know what, and, or maybe in your culture, it's like, but this is an obvious thing. People shouldn't act this way. Well, yeah, in your culture, that is true. But when you assume responsibility and you say, okay, this is my viewpoint, not this is the eternally true viewpoint, like the ego likes to put it, and all other, other viewpoints are just, you know, off. And whenever the other viewpoints gradually align with my viewpoint, then they are coming to the ultimate truth. This is somehow how the ego likes to put it. But when you want to bring consciousness to things, a couple of relationships is actually ideal to discover uh, your own egoistic tendencies and patterns and all sorts of beliefs that you think are the ultimate thing, but they're actually not. And when you assume this attitude, like, uh, like Uriel said, where you, um, where you say, well, you know, we are a unit you know, we are not the same. We also do our own things. 
but we are also very much so connected and we are um let's say uh having the wish to um to connect with the other and to understand them better and we are curious about them we are curious about their experience then you will come to see quite quickly that um, you, you have a very subjective experience and they have a very subjective experience and both of them you know, might be completely opposite, might be completely conflictual, but they might still both be true. And then by you embracing the experience of the other one and having respons holding responsibility for your own stuff, for your experience, for your interpretations and so forth, you can actually come to a, a more and more unified viewpoint, to a more and more... Uh, complementary viewpoint and uh, understanding that somehow the other one is giving you an opportunity to see the world through their eyes, even when it is a conflictual point. And this can be extremely enriching, actually, uh, for the soul to go about conflict this way, assuming responsibility for yourself. And then from that sort of stabilized, um, we call it in, in psychology, differentiated viewpoint, you can then embrace whatever the other one is going through and and let that enrich your experience as well yeah i'm glad you bring that up i really like that idea of assuming responsibility in those moments i think it's really powerful um well you're both psychologists and you interact with i don't know how many couples in a calendar a year i mean just in your workshops and all the rest i mean it must be in the hundreds and, uh, you know, I've been in the rooms and I've, I've seen the way people open up to you and share their stories and share their, um, really open up their relationships to you. And so I, I was thinking about this earlier, earlier today when I was getting ready for this interview. You know, given you, the breadth of your experience witnessing couples in love and love relationships, sometimes over many years, what are some of the principal differences you see in couples who manage to stay together versus those who don't? You know, and, and in particular, the couples who maintain the passion and the fire in their relationship over many years. And either one of you can, can jump on that. Jump, baby, jump. But I just jumped. Maybe you want to jump. Okay, I can jump first. <laughs> Let me jump first. Yes, um, the couples that succeed over time, there are many factors. I will not number them. I'll rather just focus on one or two. So people who are willing to transform. Couples who are willing to receive feedback and adjust. Where we have a rigid personality that says, this is how I am. This is me in this room, that's the door. You, you want me, it's me here, that's how I am. And if not, that's the door, that's it. People that have a very rigid personality structure and they identify very, very much with their traits, which is a very superficial form of identification, yeah? You, you identify with your defects. Yeah, it's a defect, but it's me. <clears throat> I love me. I'm going to stay with the defect. That's just that. <clears throat> that eventually in time, you know, the pattern repeats and repeats and repeats, and then some of these defects, they just uh, bring so much pain and so much distance that eventually the relationship, you know, it doesn't have to be a breakup, but it can, like you mentioned, it can be the end of passion. We are both, it's like a back pain. I have a husband, I have a wife. Like you get used to a back pain and you carry it. I carry this relationship, which I'm not happy. They're not happy. 
but we're also afraid of what's out there and we don't feel like making a change and we're anyway by now uh, too fat and horrendous socially to ever find a partner so we just <laughs> yeah it's a very socially <laughs> socially horrendous that's a great line yeah because we've been carrying this very relationship without a heart for so long we're just unsensitive and dull and so forth so either a relationship would break up or uh, it would come to this kind of a very flat state yeah uh, but when people are willing to transform and they say okay it's very i've never been intimate really intimate with my heart with anyone i'm just not like that but it's very important and I understand somehow we can't really have a happy relationship until I learn to be intimate. I never share my deep emotions with anyone, not even with myself, to be honest. But we're not going to have a relationship unless I do that. Okay, let's try. And then you go through that layers and layers of all the pains that you have suppressed in your life and you start to share that. And with that, you also share a deeper love. You share a deeper erotic openness. You, you share a deeper vulnerability. You transform, you reinvent yourself. And then what was before a defect is now put in the fire and it's a fuel for the relationship. How much then you fall in love? Look, a year ago, you were not at all intimate. Now you have tears in your eyes when you tell me that you love me. Wow. You fall in love afresh. You fall in love again. So it's this willingness to transform uh, for the other one, for, for maintaining the relationship. Most people, they are not willing to transform for almost anything. They're willing to be maybe a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more hardworking for money and validation. But the one thing that makes people who are not on a spiritual path transform is when they say, okay, but I love that person. Why don't I make an effort and, you know, shed the, my old snakeskin and be born anew for the person I love? Can yeah. I chime in a little? Yeah, that's it. I'm done. So you can ah, jump. Okay, you say you were about that transformation. Was, that was my transformation <laughs> was my point. <laughs> Um, I want to add that actually in the, um, even in tantric um, traditional metaphysics, if you want to put it that way, like really if you go to the scripts and you go to the old temples and you read about this, actually it, it talks about that quite clearly. Uriah was putting it in modern terms. In uh, traditional terms, it would be um, the, the um, game basically between two great cosmic powers that I mentioned in the Mahavidya tantric tradition which is uh, Tripura Sundari and Tripura Bhairavi. And these two, they polarize with one another. Uh, one of them being the one that um, goes more and more and more into the differentiated multiplicity and the other one going more and more and more into the unified singularity that everything is coming from. And the um, one force is um, transformation and the other force is love. So they are considered in, in Tantra uh, complementary to one another. It's one of these things that I find always super interesting when studying these these very 
you know, I mean, from our cultural viewpoint, quite far out descriptions of goddesses with, I don't know what the tongue is hanging out. And this one is sitting on a skull of a turtle on an ocean of nectar. And I don't know what it's, it seems all a bit out there, but it's actually, when you study it, it's just symbolisms that describe all of these um, realities that we go through. And this one that Rhea just described um, is um, something is, is a death sentence for many relationships that uh, they don't embrace actively to transform. Transformation and love belong together. If you don't transform, love cannot renew itself. If you don't love, you cannot transform. If you don't transform, you can't love. This is uh, it's something that already the old tantric scripts really teach us. And what I want to add, you already touched upon it a little bit, is I feel something that really can, can uh, even save a relationship. And um, we've been uh, in our practice, especially as psychologists with... Um, uh, with couples that, I mean, you would see them and as a citizen, you would say, guys, why don't you just call it quits? I mean, you know, call it a draw. This is just not going anywhere. But um, as, a, as a therapist, you wouldn't see it that way. You would be like, well, guys, you, you know, you don't have to stay together, but maybe you want to be together. You know, I, I personally, as a citizen, don't understand why you would want to be together, but maybe you do. And then just teaching a little uh, tips and tricks can sometimes really change the reality of a couple from being very close to a breakup, socially horrendous, <laughs> to being actually wonderful uh, together. And um, one of the aspects that I uh, like to share in my practice is for couples to learn to share. And um, this actually goes a long way into transformation as well, because when you learn to really share what is going on inside of you right now, you will see how just naturally because you are a living breathing part of a living breathing universe you are continuously transforming you are continuously changing inside of you it, it is the ego and the mind that is holding on to the idea that you are very very upset with the other one and then you strengthen that in time and then no let me think again maybe you know this when you're in a, in a conflict with your lover by now i have this sometimes i wake up in the morning and i call uriel and i say are we fighting at the moment? I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't remember. What did we do last night? Am I upset with you? I can't really recall. So it is the ego and the mind which, which, which continues with the story of being upset. And then if he's like, well, last night you were still upset because then you said that. And it's like, ah, oh, yes, let me tell you. I'm still upset about that because the story is still there. But when you just share directly what is going on inside of you, you'd be surprised how how shortly you will be upset with the other one and how actually by sharing it and by becoming vulnerable, you go through the layers of emotion. This is something we talk about in, in psychology that typically couples that don't move very far um, or, or have a lot of trouble and, and a lot of suffering within them, they tend to only share what is called uh, secondary or even tertiary uh, emotions. And they will not go back to the primary emotion where everything sort of starts, where the initial conflict starts. And typically, uh, this is maybe a good tool for every couple to know, primary emotion uh, is usually pain or fear. It doesn't go further than that. It's pain or fear. If you're in a conflict with your lover, sit for a moment, breathe, write down on a paper, what are you afraid of? And what are you hurt with? What are you upset about? What is really making you sad inside? What is painful for you in this moment? And then share that. And this is something that will 
we are wired to be social beings. It will immediately inspire your beloved to, to take care of you. If, you know, if there's just even a, a little spark of care between the two of you, when your beloved says, look, I'm, I'm so afraid to, to lose you right now. And, and I don't know where this, where this fear is, is right now coming from. I do associate it with a whole lot of stuff that went down between us, but, but the, the, the truth of the matter, the, the core of the thing is, I'm afraid to lose you. I don't want to lose you. I love you so much. That's way different to take care of and to be like, no, my love, let me let me reassure you and tell you, no, I'm I'm not I'm not planning to leave you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm just really angry right now. That's just what's what's happening for me right now. And okay, I'm angry. Angry is usually secondary emotion. What what's the anger about? What am I afraid of? What am I in pain about? Okay, I'm actually in pain that maybe. Maybe there's no space for me within this relationship. Maybe, maybe you don't love me the way I am. I'm, I'm really afraid that you don't love me the way I am, right? And that, that maybe you cannot accept me the way I am. And I really want you to accept me the way I am because I really want to be together and so forth. So this sort of sharing and being vulnerable, it turns situations around and creates a whole lot of transformation just by sharing vulnerably what is actually going on with you right now. It can really go a long way, I feel. That's, that's beautifully put. And, and as you're, you're explaining that, that way of looking at things, I was reminded, I, I was just thinking the other day actually about a conflict that I had in uh, an old relationship of mine, which I was on the receiving end of some really strong, harsh, negative energy, and I didn't respond particularly well. And I started reflecting that, you know, my lover at the time, you know, there's, there's a frightened little girl in there. And that's the primary emotion in that scenario, which makes a lot of sense given what I know of her background and her history and her family. And I was frustrated, like, why couldn't I remember that in the moment? Why is it sometimes so difficult to remember that in the moment? That, because I found that way of looking at conflict helpful in my relationships when I'm frustrated with my lover. It's like, there's a frightened little girl for me, you know, in, in there. Um, I think it's an interesting way of looking at it. And it can take some of the edge off your response to that that conflict. Yeah, and I actually want to underline here for a second also your side of the story because when you say, um, well, why couldn't I remember that in that moment? That's a very good question to ask yourself. And the answer to that is usually, well, because you got triggered. You you had maybe relational traumas that were touched. Uh, you know, you, you uh, closed up because of fear and pain, fear and pain. It's always that, that's always the reason why, why we why we lose our compassion, why we lose our contact with the other is always that fear uh, or pain. And then you can, can go back to that. And maybe even though you're maybe a, a bit more on the more, you know, more, more uh, contemplative end within fights, maybe you're not necessarily the one raising their voice and so forth, but you might still be very triggered. And it might sometimes be worse for the person who doesn't express their anger than for the one that is, you know, shouting and going up the walls. So it's very, very worthwhile to, to, to always look, okay, yeah, I, I do have this compassion sometimes. Why don't I have it now? Probably there's some fear and some pain that you deserve to have taken care of. It's important to, to address that and to, to give that space to yourself as well. Yeah. Yes. It is in Tantra a game of energy and consciousness. So the intensity of the pain which is triggered inside of you, if it's bigger than the amount of consciousness that you have that can contain that pain, you flip, you become a robot, you become automatic. You lose, consciousness gives choice. And when the intensity of the pain goes beyond a certain uh, degree of consciousness, it, it just becomes bigger than what consciousness can contain, then consciousness falls. 
and we move from being conscious beings to being automatic beings, automatic, robotic, social beings. And then all we care about is defend the self-image, defend the self-image, defend the interests. And we, we lose this memory of who we truly are and we fall into unconsciousness. So anything that develops consciousness, right? You do Zen meditations, whatever spiritual practice, therapy, that's what therapy does. You get an extra spotlight. Yeah, you get an extra consciousness for your emotions. And then when there is more consciousness and it's bigger than the pain, you can contain that pain, then you have a choice. And you say, yes, I understand that I hurt you very much and I'm also in a lot of pain now and I can really feel your pain and I'm very sorry. And, and you are in pain, but you contain it. You are a little bit bigger than that. And if you look at the biography of every great human being, from Gandhi to Mandela to Christ to Buddha to whoever you name it, they always had their consciousness bigger than the pain. They didn't flip. Gandhi, non-violent, 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 but now the British really got us. Let's just smash their skulls, yeah? He didn't lose it. Mandela, 27 years in prison. No, his consciousness was bigger than the pain. It was in a lot of daily pain. It was not a relationship pain. It's labor, forced labor pain every day. But yet, his consciousness was bigger. And being like that, he became a great man. Yeah, so this is the game. Could we substitute the word love for consciousness in the scenario you just described? Yeah, also love. If, if you can love to that intensity. You see, the world has two arranging factors. Love and consciousness. When you are conscious of an inner reality, it falls into order. The same with love. When there is a lot of love in a relationship, in a family, in a country, in a community, people fall into place. They fall into order. There is harmony. When there is a big intensity of love, again, love greater than all the other emotions, then there is harmony. When love is smaller than the pain, then the pain takes over and we become automatic. Yes, so the same. You can approach it either with an intensity of love or with an intensity of consciousness. They are two separate things to a degree. Um, but if they are bigger, then the system will have order. There will be harmony and there will be choice. We will be actually alive today. Just to kind of put a cap on this discussion we're having at the moment, I've thought a lot about an idea... Um, I think it was you, Blandine, who, who said it in, in one of the seminars I went to at the Tantra School, which is the idea is if you fall deeply in love with someone once, no matter how the relationship transpires and progresses, no matter which problems you have in the future, if you work at it enough, you can come back to that original feeling of love. Um, you can reconnect with that original falling in love. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, if you want me to really go into the tantric metaphysics it might get maybe a little more crazy but I mean as you invited us also as tantra teachers let's go there a little bit uh, I was expecting tantra. some tantric craziness that's kind of why I invited you well in tantra you would even say okay you you fall in love so intensely so wonderfully so beautifully so um, um, you know so truthfully so soulfully very likely, uh, as much as you think, okay, wow, I'm, I'm, I've fallen in love and now hopefully I can maintain this love. 
it is very, very likely that you've been in love already with this person. Uh, we didn't know each other for, uh, we did know each other, sorry, for eight years and didn't know that we, we were lovers to one another. And um, uh, when time and space align in a specific way, when conditions align in a specific way of rediscovering that you were in love all along, this is somehow, um, yeah, much more the tantric viewpoint of what happens when you fall in love. Um, in uh, one of my long-lasting tantric relationships uh, that I've had with a very, um, very, very advanced, uh, elevated guy, um, uh, when there would be a fight, um, and you know, I would be like, "Oh, maybe we should break up. This is it." And then he would just be like, well, you know, you can try and then we'll be back together in two lives from now. So this is uh, much more the viewpoint that, uh, that the tantric would have upon, uh, upon falling in love. You, if, you, if you feel love for one another, it is very likely that this is already, ha has already been a love before. And um, <clears throat> now it is just about rediscovering that love. It is just about, um, let's say, you know, sometimes we think of it like we have, to, we have to build that love. We have to build it up. We have to add something to it so it can last in time. But it's not that. It's just um, that you remove the, the debris that make you forget it, right? You remove the fog that makes you forget that you deeply love the soul. If you and, and this sort of um, similar to the process that I was describing before that I was going through in these months of relating back to the soul is basically just removing the stories, removing the dust, removing the the stuff that I have accumulated in time that tells me now that oh maybe maybe I shouldn't love this person anymore. But who is talking inside? Who's who's saying this? I shouldn't love this person anymore. Maybe I should reconsider loving this person. How does that work? Your soul is deeply in love with this person already for so long time, for many lives and probably many lives ahead. Um, who, who is this little entity inside of you that says, well, because we had in these, I mean, split second of, of our relationship, which is the past seven years, it's a split second of what we've actually been together already on, uh, from a perspective of the soul. You know, who's to say that due to some of the hiccups within that time, now I will abandon this deep, soulful love that I, that I feel for real. It's, it's impossible, really. Yes, you might forget on the way because you get your nose into, into other aspects than, uh, than the love. So from a, from a tantric perspective, this prolongation of love, this remaining in love, maintaining of love, is not so much about adding something or doing something, but it is about just return back to the initial love that is there in your soul. It's, it will never go away. It is completely funny to believe that some stuff that you do on this, in this little life here, that that, will, that that will actually end that or that that could cancel that out. So from a tantric viewpoint, um, yeah, keep referring back to that in order to remain in love. It's beautiful. Yeah, you're really killing it with the analogies today. That's beautiful. Like clearing the debris and like returning to that, that clarity. That's, I, I like that a lot. My last question is, uh, I think I mentioned a few moments ago, so I have a new workbook and online course coming out this month on breakups. In particular, breakup, if you can call it breakup recovery. And I don't think I've talked to either one of you about this 
in, in any depth. Um, Oriel, we can start with you, but is there any kind of a general, general tantric approach to dealing with a breakup? Yes. <clears throat> so suffering can smash you to pieces or awaken you spiritually. Yeah, it's the same game. If you are love and your consciousness in the process of suffering, like I take suffering as gen generally because normally uh, for many people, breakups is like the peak of suffering of life. So if we are there, very present, very much willing to transform through the breakup and through the pain of the breakup, and we are aware, and we have a certain generalized life, love for ourselves, for life, for everything, it's a trampoline. It can take us to a very um, high level. We can change our perspectives on life. We can transform profoundly and so forth. So a breakup is a great opportunity of inner transformation. And if we don't take it as inner transformation and our egoism and our love for our personality, for our traits, for our defects, we hold on to it like a constipation. We're not willing to let go. We're not willing to shed our skin and so forth. We just hold on. Then that inner conflict, because suffering wants to transform us into something new, as nature is constantly transforming. Suffering tries to transform us, and then we put all the resources of our personality to avoid that transformation. We get shattered. The inner conflict sucks the life out of us. And most people that after a breakup, their professional function, social function, even health are damaged, it is because of this conflict. The breakup is a, is a call for transformation. And we need to really hold on very strongly in order not to grow and transform. And if we take that very stupid option, that is still an option the universe offers, you don't want to transform? Try to fight me. And then it's you on one side, I don't want, I want to stay the same. And the universe on the other side, grow, grow, grow. And that exhausts some people completely. So if you just allow yourself to reinvent yourself, to die and be reborn, to accept your pain and your suffering. You see, suffering is the resistance to suffering. It's only because we resist suffering, we suffer. When we stop resisting suffering, which is transformation, when we stop resisting it, then suffering becomes a tool of growth. But as long as we push suffering out of the door because we want to stay the same, then it's suffering. So a total acceptance of the pain, the pain in the body, in the mind, in the energy structure, and a willingness to just die to all your traits and be born a new person from this breakup. And maybe after a few months, maybe after a year of pain, but you are reborn. If you just go and painkiller yourself, and I don't know what, a date or porn or drugs or alcohol or Netflix or ice cream, or by now there's probably new inventions. By now I have white hair, probably people in their 20s, they have new and new ways of painkillers. TikTok. TikTok or whatever. If you just have other painkillers, and you just use all your power 
to resist the experience of pain, which is a good experience for you, paradoxically, then the breakup will take you to a lower and lower state of consciousness and you will be super afraid to ever enter a relationship because that breakup smashed you to pieces. But it's not the breakup, it's the resistance to the suffering and the resistance to the transformation. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, I, I also want to go back to this uh, vision that I gave before with uh, as much as it is, um, you know, not your first falling in love, it's also not your first breakup with a person that you deeply love. And um, uh, basically a, a breakup from, from that viewpoint is not so much the end of a relationship, not at all. There's, it's not for you to end. I mean, there is this... Um, Uh, this quote from the Bible, I don't know how exactly it goes, but what, whatever God put together, the uh, humans shouldn't, shouldn't take, take apart. Yeah, it's from the, when they say it in the Catholic Church. Something, yeah. What was brought together by God cannot be broken by man. Exactly. And it, it just cannot. I mean, in, in Catholic Church, then we make it into some sort of contract and then you shall, I don't know, suffer together forever. That's, of course, also not the idea. Sometimes... You need a break. You need, um, you know, an, a new understanding. You need another impulse. Um, basically, what a breakup is, uh, is just um, a reflection that um, the, the relationship hasn't learned a certain lesson. When a certain lesson isn't learned and it's like both of you are just like, we're just not ready to learn it, then that's it. The relationship ends in that moment. But it doesn't end. It's just shifting to a, to a moment of not being you know, as much together as before. The relationship remains, the love remains. It's, it is already there. It, is, it has been established for so many lives. For, uh, for so many lives, it's not for you to uh, now say, oh no, me with my little ego that lasts for one life, I have hereby decided that it is not so anymore. Yeah, it's, you know, it makes for a good laugh for all the angels around that will drive you back together next life. So... Um, from that perspective, first of all, when you understand, okay, um, I haven't been able to learn a certain lesson and therefore this relationship um, had to, for now, take a break, so to say. Then first of all, you stay with this understanding that, well, you know, maybe not in this life, maybe not for another five lives, but whenever we are ready to go through this lesson, then, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen. When it, whenever it will be the moment, then we will continue, we will pick it back up. Um, when, when we're ready for it. And in the meantime, I can contemplate, and this I suggest to you very much to do that, to take a period um, after a breakup and really seriously meditate, really become aware what lessons haven't you learned? What have you, not the other one, what have you resisted to, to learn? What, what divine lesson of transformation was in there that, that you resisted? And then see if you can transform this now, like Uriah said, that's, that suffering of the breakup is just another invitation to learn the lesson. You know, it's not there to punish you for not learning the lesson before. It's just like, okay, you haven't learned the lesson within the relationship. Okay, fine. Then relationship ends. Now you have the, the um, opportunity to learn in the suffering of Uh, the, the aftermath of the breakup and so forth. But mostly we do not take these opportunities. Like Ria said, we are so resistant to transformation. We are so afraid of suffering. We are so afraid of pain. And we just sort of get more and more sensitive to that and more and more careful with our little porcelain ego. Uh, also as a society that, 
it becomes less and less possible to sort of, um, well, still possible, but you know, less and less likely for us to mold ourselves after breakup. So take conscious time after breakup and learn, learn the lessons. That's the main thing. Everything else, it's, it's also fine. You painkiller yourself, you do whatever you do, you stay a bit scarred, you stay a bit traumatized. It's not a problem. The universe will come back to you. It's a cyclical uh, movement. Then you get another chance later, but you take another round. Okay, no, I need to eat more ice cream. I need to sleep around a bit. I need to do this and that. Okay, 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 okay. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Okay, and then when I'm ready, all right, next lesson, no problem. Real and Blandine, thank you so much uh, for your time today. This was just really, really enjoyable discussion, and I feel like I'm going to listen back to this for my own benefit several times. What's the best way people can get in touch with you? Um, our site, Tantra Yoga Thailand, our Facebook page, Mahasida, our email, tantrayogachenmai at gmail.com. And please, I'm building a new YouTube, ah, a YouTube channel. channel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, new, it's not so new, but we're actually building it up now. So that's just Mahasida Yoga on YouTube, and you find a bunch of lectures, questions and answers, and all sorts of little uh, bits and pieces on Tantra where you can sort of ease into the subject and then see if this might be uh, a path for you. Glendon and Uriel, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon.